Conversations with Friends. This is Marlo, and we are going through topics around well-being. And today's topic is a topic I'm pretty passionate about. I shouldn't even say pretty, I just am. Uh, it is a topic around water, access to clean water, water for our well-being. And uh, I am having it with a, another incredibly passionate person about water, Miss Stephanie Smith, who I'm really honored to have this chat with and this banter, which is what it's going to be, um, because we both really have uh, shared strong opinions about this, and uh, both from an environmental aspect, but from a, a human well-being aspect. And Stephanie and I have known each other a long time through some of our shared work in the past with Alliance for the Great Lakes, but we have also remained friends because we live in the same community. And it is a great, uh, it's a great privilege. It's a great joy to have you spend this time with me and talk about water. So welcome, Miss Stephanie. Thank you so much, Marlo. It's such a pleasure to be here and to talk about our, our favorite, well, one of my favorite anyway, and I know a big passion for you topic. Um, thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. So my intention for this conversation around water is, it's a lot of things. Um, you know, we can't, as humans, we can't survive without it. Uh, so it's part of what keeps us literally alive, but it's also one of the most important aspects of this planet uh, and its well being. And the challenge, or, you know, a lot of places that this conversation I think will go, or I know it will go, is not everyone has access to clean water. Uh, those that do have access to clean water, I have found over all of my years of uh, promoting and doing work for clean water, those people who have it take it so much for granted that I get like I start gritting my teeth around it. Um, those that also, there's those that claim to be supporters of clean water and protecting it, but then they really actually don't do that or they just kind of let it slide. And I think one of the big pieces of it that I don't, I think a lot of people are talking about it who focus on it is that from my perspective, it's the next war that we have in our global communities. And I know it's kind of begun in some quiet ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's fortuitous you and I are talking and then of course in the news, the oil spill in Orange County, mm -hmm. California, yeah. Yeah. 126,000 gallons of oil in one of the most prominent beaches in that area, Huntington Beach, um, which is sad that this pipeline broke failure. Um, so I guess when we, we start this conversation, this banter, how do we, you and I, how do we how do we start this conversation around this need to protect water and getting everyone to have access to clean water? How do we begin that? I mean, cause I can look in, I got 15 different headliners I'm looking at next to me of places that are having problems. 
You are right that there are many, many issues uh, with access to water, to clean water, and and that's global. And that's um, I think sometimes where we tend have tended in the U.S. to put that in others' backyards, saying, "Okay, you know everything's okay in our country." And then it's been, you know, in these more recent years where it's really hitting the media in in a, a big way. And I wouldn't say positive, but it's a good thing that it's hitting the media so that we understand now that we have big infrastructure issues in this country. Um, we have big water access issues in this country. Uh, I do work both in the US and globally and see the water, uh, both water pollution issues, so water quality, and then also the water access that you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's first of all we'll just start with saying you know as you just said it's a very basic element that we can't live without and that we take for granted every day mm -hmm. uh, if we have it <laughs> it's when we don't have it right that we start to realize its true value mm -hmm. and by seeing it in the media and seeing uh where where our country is being affected you know in our neighboring communities you know benton harbor um you know here just in our in our neck of the woods near Lake on Lake Michigan, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're really starting to see some of those issues. And as that those come to light, there's a whole new perspective shift that's happening around valuing water. And I think uh, what you're talking about now is part of that important shift, that really important fundamental shift that um, you know those of us who are watching the media can make, but also figuring out how do we actually integrate that with our youth, you know, at, at earlier stages um, so that we can solve these problems and but really uh, be more preventative so that we don't have them happening down the line continuously. And you think, you know, the people, because one of the things that, you know, makes me grip my teeth and it has over time is, you know, it's in the media, it's out there, five, two thing. I go off on like crazy tangents as we start talking. Um, <laughs> you know, I think about Arizona, like mm -hmm. the Colorado River, the lake. Um, I can't remember the, the lake that's there, whose levels uh, have dropped, I think, something like 125 feet. Is it Lake Tahoe? That might not be right, but, you know, yeah, people are flocking there. I heard that Arizona is Phoenix, in particular, Phoenix Scottsdale area. It's like Chicago 2.0. And I think, why are you moving there when there's not water? How, what, and yet we do this in this country. We keep taxing this, the systems by that. I mean, like straining the systems where it's not, where there's not enough already. And, and then the areas that we do have water, say around our five Great Lakes, we, we take it for granted. You know, we have algae runoff, you know, algae blooms and we pollute it and Flint, Michigan. Uh, and it's just this, like we go from one extreme to the other here. And I know there's so many other situations across the globe uh, that this is going on. And I, what makes me grip my teeth is when people who are privileged, how do I how do we get them to stop taking it for granted and really start taking it seriously? And I'm not saying everyone is like that. A lot of people are. 
yeah yeah you know I, I know when people listen to this they're like well Marlo you know you don't know what you're talking about and I take it I don't take it for granted I'm like well okay prove it to me you know Right. Well, it's interesting when you say that. First of all, I think it's Lake Mead that you're talking yeah, about um, with the, the, the reduced uh, water levels. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, you know, it's obviously a very serious yeah. issue that we're seeing in the, in the U.S. Southwest. And, um, and I think the reality there is um, because it's hitting so hard, because we're seeing, this is perhaps a whole separate topic too, but how water and climate change are deeply connected. Hmm. You know, if they, you know, if, if we say, uh, climate change is the shark, then water is the teeth. You know, it's yeah, it's where we, we see we see the impacts of climate change through water, and and so uh, as we're seeing, you know, all extremes, you know, related to this. So we see decreased lake levels, we see increased storm events, which cause even more water issues. So that also causes both a drought. In some places, it gets very dry. In some places, it gets flooded. So we have too much we have too little mm -hmm. and then in places where there's too much sometimes we have overflows uh where it's too dirty right it, it mm -hmm. causes pollution to run off as you were talking about agricultural pollution a minute ago um nutrient pollution which causes algae blooms so yeah so uh, just to get back to what you said i mean we're seeing this i think it's causing as as I, i'm seeing in my work and conversations um perspective shifts for people who didn't used to think so much about these issues and, and their water and where it's coming from and is it clean? Um, so that's hard to see that happening, but it's also such a big eye opener. So I think it, it shifts, it can shift values when we, we have, we, humans are so short-sighted. I mean, that's one of my, I love humans, but I also <laughs> get so annoyed with our short-sightedness. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's really helping to shift some of these perspectives. But here's the thing, like we can shift our values but until there are actions tied with our values, like you just said, show it to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we, once we see the actions tied in, then we can start to see change. And I do believe, I know there are people who say, well, it's such big change. We can only affect something, you know, like um, water, you know, improved conditions with water at a, at a you know, national policy level. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's true. And I think that individual actions really matter. Mm -hmm. And and so the the values uh, that we can see shifting and um, hopefully do see shifting in even greater numbers, but along with those those the actions individual actions then lead to strengthened, you know, willingness to step up and advocate for larger policy changes as well. We, yeah. I don't think we can have one without the other. Correct, correct. I think for me, it's. Um... People, as you, as we said before, I started the recording. You know, walking, walking my talk as related to something else, but it is helping people really understand. You have to walk your talk. If water really okay. means something to you, you have to start in your own home. And as you said earlier, it is starting with educating the younger generations and getting them engaged because I believe they do care. I believe they. Mm -hmm they do see the shit show that is going on on so many levels in so many areas in the world uh, and certainly back in our in our own backyard um and i think that parents and other role models in the younger generation's life have to 
start really opening their blinders and mm -hmm. realizing that it's not finite. Water is not finite. Um, you know, I can speak in a million ways about the what water does for our bodies from a health perspective, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean squat unless you take steps to protect it and help others have access to it um, so that it does remain a resource that we have for so many future generations. Um, but it, yeah. it has somebody, people just have to take a step, you know, we just have to start. Um, and when I think, go ahead. I was going to say those steps are really critical. It, it, sometimes it is really just taking that first step, opening that door mm -hmm. and being able to see that this is within the realm of your own, uh, you know, agency and possibility. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, build, you can build on that, but go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I was going to say when I was going to shift and go backwards, when did water and its importance of, you know, protecting it, its preservation, when did that start to come into your life? When did that become your main focal point? When did you oh, become? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I thought you were going to ask a different question, which I will, uh, I'll go to that in a minute. But um, uh, yeah, so I started thinking about water. I was born, you know, here um, on the shores of Lake Michigan, not literally, but <laughs> um, well, that would be interesting. <laughs> I know that would be if I was born right in the in the water there. But um, yes, close close by. Um, and then growing up, I, I actually lived more near uh, closer to the ocean. I was growing up for most of my life, and um, you know, but in my literally in my backyard, about you know a mile or so walk from my house, I grew up near Boston. Um, there was a reservoir that was the town's drinking water um, that was in a wooded area that I, I could walk to. And my family used to, you know, take walks there. And as I grew older, I, I went there on my own. And I was fascinated with the idea that this was actually our drinking water. Mm -hmm. You know, I, there were signs around that said, you know, do not swim here. This is the drinking water. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember thinking like, oh, what? This is where it comes from. Um, and so the question I thought you were going to ask a minute ago was about um, when did we as humans get so disconnected yeah. from protecting our water, which I will say, I think it, that has to do with not understanding where our drinking water comes from, mm -hmm. thinking that things come, electricity comes out of the wall, mm -hmm. water comes out of the tap, and that's all we need to know. Mm -hmm. So, and then I just take that a step further and say, when I was in college, I studied abroad and I lived in West Africa in, in Dakar, Senegal. And there I happened to live kind of unfortunately, but um, overlooking a sewage canal, like an open sewage canal um, headed out to the ocean, to cars mm -hmm. on the ocean. And um, it had steep walls and occasionally, you know, people, garbage would fall in there. And occasionally, I mean, once there was a goat that fell in there, um, it, it was, and it, and it smelled bad, you know? And so, um, and it was a pretty central area, like to, in town, it just happened to be like, that was how the, um, the, the, you know, the water system was set up there, not super healthy not filtering that, you know, the, the raw garbage and, and sewage going out into the ocean. Um, I hope things have shifted. That was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but that also was super eye opening to me to think about like, oh my gosh, my whole life, I have been in places where all this has been managed underground 
and I didn't have to see it or smell it or deal with it. Sure. And yet, like here we are, I'm seeing it go out into the ocean, polluting this beautiful place that I really love. And um, you know, so those experiences combined, I think, you know, I, I can to this day picture vividly, you know, both of those places. And at that point in time, thinking, I need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how how do I how do I help to um, you know to mitigate some of these problems and and to have a hand in some of the solutions? What's it going to take? You know, mm-hmm. and so that's uh, when I when I moved um, back to the Midwest. Eventually, um, ended up doing work, uh, you know, in service of the wonderful Lake Michigan, our mm-hmm. shared lake, mm-hmm. uh, and thinking more about how do we really solve some of these problems and working. Um, at the Alliance for the Great Lakes, where we worked on policy. But for me, my my heart has always been in the education work and mm-hmm. thinking about how do we how do we shift thinking and behaviors and practices um, at at different levels, especially for youth. So mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for asking that. Yeah, I mean, my when I try to think about, I mean, my passion for water started when I was at work. Uh, and around Earth Month, and so the company I worked for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for so long, uh, our passion around Earth Month, and I mean, I had been passionate every for 27 years around it, but I don't think I really, I didn't really, really hone and tap into it probably a, a little bit, I'd say maybe 10 years into um, my career there. But when I think about you know, where I grew up, I grew up in Milwaukee and uh, my mom's family lived north of Milwaukee, about an hour and a half in a small little town called Chilton, a farm town. And, you know, we had well water there for sure at my grandma's house. And I just remember everything tasting different, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I remember like the little ravine uh, by her house and uh, I I just remember you know we didn't use a lot of water then because it wasn't um, it wasn't I don't know you just you just didn't you didn't take these extravagant showers you if you took a bath you were like in and out or or you didn't shower every day because it wasn't necessarily necessary. Um, but you always, like, I mean, my grandma always had some level of dirt around or about her because she's a farmer. She had a big garden and, you know, a vegetable garden as well. And she had a huge barn and had animals prior to me being born. But then there were rabbits raised. I mean, there was just, I don't know, I just water then versus how I grew into what water, the placement of water in my life, I think about, you know, being in a city definitely changed. And I can, I just, and even going city to city, I could tell differences in water, but I also learned to really come to appreciate and respect it in a, in a, in a way that I have certainly tried to uh, strengthen over my whole life because I am passionate about it. Um, And, you know, I'm sure many of my friends would, and former colleagues and clients would probably say, don't 
across Marlo's path on the topic of water, especially when she's trying to raise money around, you know, <laughs> for organizations who are working on protecting it. Um, but, you know, it was also, it was really another fortuitous thing on my drive home from Madison <clears throat> the other day. I chose to listen to a, a podcast on one of my well-being sites, and they were talking to Aaron Brockovich around oh, interesting okay. yeah, <laughs> uh, around water and yeah. a book called Superman is Not Coming. Yes, yes, that she put out last year, and a fascinating. It was, I mean, it was a good hour and fifteen-minute conversation, and man, you want to talk about a woman you are not wanting to cross paths with as it relates to water. <laughs> I was just going to say that, right? <laughs> I was like, wow, I mean, both. <laughs> she is, you know, and I think I'd only heard her really talk a little bit maybe once before. So this was the longest, you know, conversation mm -hmm. I really sat and listened to. And I thought, wow, at least Julia Roberts did a good job portraying her because um, at least her personality, I mean, obviously she looked different, but or whatever, but uh, just a really fascinating, you know, this conversation and how she got started in the work, which is obviously what's shown in the movie and, you know, Frog in, in Hinkley, uh, California, and this woman that she crossed paths with and noticing the differences in their water and frogs having two heads and water being green and this and that. And I was like, you know, from my perspective, if I was an individual living in that county, I'd be like, how do you not question that, those weird things going on? And I mean, and at the time, you know, she explained that some people just didn't want to say anything or even though there was this commonality. And obviously I think that brought to light as you mentioned earlier, a shift in awareness for people that hopefully, you know, people who might feel more privileged or even those that aren't are finally speaking up saying enough is enough. We're not going to tolerate mm -hmm. this, you know, because with industrialization for, you know, since the 1900s and before, I mean, it's just been this mad dash forward without the thought of the consequences uh, I think in a lot of areas and I think that you know when we you bring up climate change um, and it, I think that I think it is very it's super interlocked I mean they're they're they go hand in hand but I don't think people really understand it fully yet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um, and you know as I said I think uh you're probably much nicer in persuading people than I am in terms of. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it seems like, I mean, in the work that you do, so let's talk about starting with people who have more open minds, which is the youth. Um, so how, what are your conversations like with them? How do you bring it to their world? Yeah, sure. You know, I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up some of the, the different pieces around, um, you know, thinking about <clears throat> Superman's not coming. Um, I think youth are really, um, they're not, they're not waiting for, for Superman, right? I, I feel like so many youth, they're 
already knowing, understanding that they are the change, that, that they are the, the future. Um, and, you know, that's not all youth, certainly, but uh, the, the youth that um, I've been most recently working with, I'm working with um, teens who care about water, uh, who are on, the, um, on Lake Michigan. And then, uh, so here in, in Illinois and in Wisconsin, and then uh, some teens who are living on the shores of uh, Lake Victoria in Uganda. Uh, on the Ugandan side of Lake Victoria, which has uh, multiple countries around it. Um, and those teens, uh, it's very interesting because, you know, I feel like this is similar with the teens that I've worked with um, who do climate change work. Also, that there's a sense of, um, you know, sort of a, a framework, if you will, around ref being reflective about themselves in their homes and um, feeling, you know, that, that that's a place to start. And, and, and being unafraid to, to take a step or two to have hard conversations with their peers, which, mm. you know, I know growing up, I wasn't looking for hard conversations with my peers necessarily. Right, right. No, I, we definitely I not. see, you know, these teens now who will say like, you know, we, we want to influence the future that we will inhabit. You know, they say that in maybe different words, but mm -hmm. that's the, sen the sense of it. Um, and so then being able to um, gain some perspective on, you know, what does it mean for me? And then what does it mean for, for others, you know, outside of my, my own, little, own little neighborhood here? Um, and, you know, I just am always amazed that uh, teens are really able to think about systems and, and see systems and understand that things are interconnected. And yet, one of the biggest oversights I think we have in our education system is that we don't teach systems. Mm -hmm. We don't teach about how things are connected. Um, and I, I, you know, we do that. That happens for many reasons, which we could <laughs> we could talk yeah. about the, the flaws in our education system. But um, I think also the willingness for the teens to kind of make meaning from this, like understand, like looking at it, thinking about the world that they live in, um, and then what influence can they have. Um, and so thinking about their strategy, like there's the, the perspective that I've been finding and having conversations that happen between teens on Lake Michigan and teens on Lake Victoria, vastly different um, lifestyles, you know, vastly different values in some cases, um, but united in perspectives on wanting to have a better future and knowing that that water that's in Lake Michigan and that water in Lake Victoria, that they are connected, you know, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a deep thing for, for, for stu students, uh, teens to be able to understand that, mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, they don't hydrologically connect, you know, necessarily, you won't see a river connecting one to the next, of course, we're in different continents, but we, they do understand the connections of what happens in one place. Mm -hmm. affects what happens in another place, that the people who are disproportionately affected by climate change, um, you know, and in, in, that happens in this country uh, into different populations in different parts of the country, but also, you know, Africa as a whole, um, East Africa, heavily impacted by climate change. Um, and so then thinking about how do we, how do we transform uh, what's going on? How do we, how do we influence it? And I think the weight of that is tremendous mm. uh, for, for teens to grapple with. But I also think there's this sense of, you know, a real sense of 
shared um, influence, of shared perspective, um, of being able to actually, you know, when you bring it peer to peer, find hope in that connection and knowing like you are not alone uh, in wanting to take action and in actually trying to make change in your community. It's incredibly, I mean, dare I say uplifting, you know, when you realize that there are others also working on perhaps a very small scale, um, but they are there. They are, and they are wanting to, to come together and um, be each other's accountability buddies, <laughs> you know, and say, hey, I'm working on this in my community um, and, and share ideas and say, have you thought of this? Um, well, what happened since last time we talked? You know, it's, um, you know, and I think that happens in teens building relationships um, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, they don't necessarily always want to tell each other everything about uh, perhaps, you know, their families, but talking about issues is almost an easier way sometimes to build a relationship. For sure, um, sure. Yeah, super interesting. So, what, yeah. What kind of pushback do they get if they get it? I mean, I'm sure they get pushback. So, I know they're getting some. It may not be a lot, but what? Yeah. And maybe it's from their peers or maybe it's from elders. I don't know. But well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think it's both, right? And so, from on the peer perspective, I think, um, you know, the teens are more willing to listen to other teens than they would be to, you know, to an adult saying, hey, change your behavior. Um, so I think that's a cool in to be to being able to create change peer to peer. Um, the pushback. So I mean, I, not to say there isn't pushback, um, you know, in on some levels with teens who are like, you know, I've got other things that I'm trying to worry about. I can't I don't have time for your cause. <laughs> you know, I have my own my own thing. Um, I'd say it's more that, you know, more that teens are limited. I mean, we all are. But with yeah. time, you know, just we can only have so many. And inevitably, of course, I get we all get the teens who are overcommitted, who want to do good work in the world, who are already <laughs> yeah. part of other clubs and on the track team and, you know, doing all the things. So, um, but I, in terms of other pushback, what's, what's, what's interesting and real is that, um, you know, one of the teens said to me the other day, well, what we see is that in our community, when we try to shift practices and we try to say, hey, let's do this instead, let's not all you know, wash our cars and our laundry and get drinking water, you know, in the same place, you know, also, by the way, um, you know, that the, there's no toilets in some of these places. So mm -hmm. there's human sewage going into, into the places as well, right? Into these, these water bodies. Mm -hmm. So, and they say, the teens have said to me, okay, so, you know, we tell adults this, but it's like, we have to have a really serious education campaign. And we also have to, of course, have the infrastructure that gives them the possibility of changing their behaviors for real. Like, you know, if we don't want everyone doing all the things right. in a water body in the same place, you know, we've got to, we've got to help not only teach why and why not uh, where to do all these things, but also have, you know, the infrastructure that's needed. And that's where working with partner groups who are doing work to either, you know, mitigate pollution or um, water sanitation and hygiene, getting uh, drinking water facilities or toilets in place in a way that's sustainable for, for different communities in the same way that of course in the US, helping to replace lead lines. Um, you know, until we have uh, some of the, the, um, the momentum heading in that right, that proper direction for this, you know, the teens continue to get pushback and saying, oh, it's, it's too expensive or, 
you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because it's easy, you know, and I, I don't have a good alternative yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it takes a lot of uh, both patience and persistence and finding another P, partnerships mm-hmm. to try to figure out how to, how to make some of this change happen and to, to leverage that. And I think um, because teens know that this is, this is where they're going to be living for the next however long, um, a lot of the, the teens that I work with are really willing to put in the time and, and try to, to figure out how do we create some, something that's sustainable in terms of changed attitude, changed infrastructure, you know, all of those different pieces. I think that's, it's refreshing and it's really, it's inspiring to me to hear their work. And, you know, at the end of this, I know one of the things I was thinking about when I was putting my thoughts together around this was, okay, how am I, how, I was going to say, Stephanie, how do I get on board with whatever you're doing for, as if I, <laughs> you know, of course I have time, plenty of time. <laughs> right. Let me add one more thing. Um, you know, some of the things that were rolling through my head while you were speaking about, you know, the pushback is politics. Sadly, I go to politics because you know, if I just speak to what's going on in our country and how divided we are as a nation on many things, I would hope that water would be the one, at least one thing that uh, would bring us together because I know people will say, you know, I've heard it a million times over years, you know, with people who are divided politically and the journalists will go, you know, people are actually more alike than they are different. You come mm-hmm. to find out during these focus groups that you do or whatever. So I would hope or think that this would be a topic that people could put aside their red, blue, purple, green party mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. realize Water is what's going to keep you alive, not a bag of chips, which is involved with water, not your Prada bag, which has touched water at some point, not your car, which for sure has touched water. I mean, none of that. It's a glass of water that comes out of a tap or a well that's going to keep you alive, period, end of story. And we are, our bodies are 99% water. It's like, what does it take? How much more fact do you need to understand that you can't survive without it? That if you had no water, you would not have any food to feed you, period. Like, you know, are you going to eat petroleum-based products? I mean, really <laughs> enticing. Mm, delicious, That's, right? Yeah, super yummy. Um, and I just don't, you know, it's always one of the things when I was doing my fundraising for protecting the Great Lakes that, and of course in the salon and spa industry, I would say to them when I was raising my money, cause I, I did not, I'd have it for big events. You know, I would, in order for people to get in the door, they had to go past me and <laughs> see this huge raffle that I was doing usually, or I was selling, you know, items or something. And then I would, they'd be like, Oh, that's really interesting. It's great. And I'm like, no, you have to buy a ticket. You will not be able to go into that event unless you buy a ticket or tickets and you know they'd be like marlo i'm like look let me make it really clear to you do you want to wash your client's hair with dirty water yes or no well no i don't i'm like then 
give me some money because I'm working with the organizations to help protect the water that goes to your tap. I can make your water turn dirty. That's not difficult. And if that's what you want, or how about you walk a few miles and go carry your water mm-hmm. after you've just taken it out of you know the well out in the West suburbs, why don't you walk a few miles to bring it to your salon? Would you like that? You know, and, and you know, of course everybody couldn't stand me for that. And I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> like you're every, we, we just rely on it so much. And, um, and there's so many people, it's so exciting. You know, the resources that you shared with me, it was so um, inspiring just to see, which is not that I didn't know, but it's nice to have it all in one space for me. It helps me because I'm not the best. Uh, I'm not, a, I hate sitting in front of my computer to research information. It makes my brain hurt. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing. I'd rather look through books or, you know, physical. But anyways, um, one of the sites that you gave me, which was Circle of Blue, and, you know, I'm literally staring at in front of me right now, I think 12 pages right yes headlines across the globe you know of colorado river forecast isn't a crystal crystal ball i mean there's key decisions but there's not a future and uh the eyes in the sky help police in california monitor the water Mm -hmm. use Mm -hmm. and um hurricane ida totally damages louisiana water system the i finally figured out what stop line three means because we have signs here in our community and I'm like what is that like what does that mean and you know it says amid extreme heat and drought line three pipeline construction puts some water at risk I mean it's just all these things and I'm like people don't you how come you don't care about water it just that's where I get really feisty and I grip my teeth and I get really foul-mouthed at people and that's why why i said you're probably a little bit more diplomatic at persuading people because i just lose it i'm just like the viking in me comes out right well like yeah we need the viking we do um (laughs) (laughs) but i will say what you are right about water being a unifier and it unfortunately it's not you know we have so many things Our, our brains unfortunately don't contain uh, and focus on always the most important, like essential for life <laughs> elements uh, aren't at the top of our priority list. Sadly. Sadly, right? But I know yeah, that's just what, but for whatever reason. Let's have a green lawn, Stephanie. We need to I know. green lawn. I know, yes. Uh, I, you will You will look uh, better in the neighborhood. That's mm-hmm. for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that because politically, you know, what we've seen is Republicans and Democrats uh, come together. You know, we see that here in the Great Lakes region, for sure, that that they unify uh, around um, the Great Lakes and mm-hmm. and, and uh, policy that's going to keep them healthy. Um, not quite as much as we really need. You know, for yeah. example, agriculture uh, is still um, quite a mess in terms of the uh, nutrient runoff that happens here. And as you can see, I mean, in the circle of blue, which is that international approach, it's a great, uh, a great news source mm-hmm. for water. Um, you know, that's a global issue, is, you know, nu- nutrient pollution and runoff. And, um, you know, the, the, the connection with food systems, which you were just making about what are we, <laughs> what are we gonna eat? Um, you know, I, I do think as, and my point to my point earlier about talking about systems and teaching how things are interconnected because we don't think about them on a day-to-day basis, unless maybe you're 
you know, you, me, and some people in our circle who, you know, we're self-selecting our, our friends, you know, who are having similar behaviors and values. Um, a lot of people are living in a really different way. And that's so important to, for us to keep remembering that and thinking about, you know, other people's values and, and why do they have them? And how do we have conversations with people who have really different values? And how can we, you know, shift the needle just a little bit here and there? And it is going to be, I am convinced it's going to be around these very critical essential issues like clean water, mm -hmm. um, like healthy food. Um, those are things where, you know, you just can't say, no, I don't want that, <laughs> you know? Well, it's interesting, like uh, one of the articles in, again, that Circle of Blue site, which anybody listening is fantastic. Like I could have sat there for about an hour. I was like, all right, I got to go to bed. Um, <laughs> but like one of the top, one of the articles here is, as drought grips American West, irrigation becomes a selling point for Michigan. Michigan farmers irrigate with 187 billion gallons of groundwater a year. And they said, is the state prepared for more? And so where I go to is, why don't we, why aren't, there's a, uh, why aren't we talking about regenerative farming? And there's an organization called Kiss the Ground. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you've seen the documentary mm -hmm. for yeah, it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. I absolutely love it. I've been trying to figure out how I fit in becoming an educator for that. Like, oh, I love that for you. Yeah, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, yes. Again, more time. I've just got so much time, but it is that piece has always been farming and, you know, because I teach health and well-being and mm -hmm. I, you know, massive supporter of farmers markets, et cetera. But that piece of regenerative farming and, changing how farmers use water and how they farm could help us so much uh, as a country and globally um, I think more as a country because well I think there's a, plenty of other areas in the globe that need help with regenerative farming I, but I think some of the older countries farm much differently than we do mm -hmm. um, but regenerative farming I mean it talks all about how if you treat soil as soil and, and turn it back to soil and mm -hmm. turn dirt back to soil because all we have is dirt in our agriculture areas uh, that it creates its own ecosystem and creates uh, its own humidity system and allows us to have this better environment with water this better relationship with water and you know just to see an article like this that 187 billion gallons blows my mind one and the whole picture is just full of dust mm -hmm. and you know so now one of the questions i will always ask at the farmer's market and i know they're starting to hate me too there i'm sure <laughs> you know, i'm just like are you tilling are you tilling your soil your dirt you know they're like what are you talking about i'm like well first of all it's seven o'clock in the morning i should probably tone down the conversation and find something else to talk about <laughs> But it does, uh, <laughs> it is, it is going to be, it is such a, it's going to be a key turner for everybody. And it's, it's happening sooner than later. And people I just don't either. I think, I think there's plenty of people that certainly are in support of it. And I absolutely love that the youth is speaking up, uh, you know, the majority that are, I think it's fantastic because I certainly know in my generation Gen X I don't think we spoke up very loud I think the boomers spoke up on different things I mean I think they started some things but I think they shifted their perspective to something else 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think that we, you know, the time is now. I mean, it just is so now. And I just, I mean, this next statement applies to so many things, but that no one person is better than the other. And every human deserves and has the right to have access to clean water to survive and yeah. for their family. And, yeah. Yeah. and from my right. perspective, there is no, um, there's just no other way. And so we have to help people have that for their own physical well-being to survive to be healthy to fight diseases to have a body that moves and gives them longevity and is able to help them all their organs function as well as to have water to feed your you know farms that hopefully move towards regenerative farming but you know to, to fuel your community for all right. the things that water is right. used right. for. Right. Yeah. yeah, so true. And I think one of the things as you're talking about this, it's, uh, you know, water as a human right. I think it's something that, uh, you know, in many, uh, many countries, like that becomes, um, it's a very easy, you know, it's an easy thing to, to say, not so easy perhaps to make happen, but, um, you know, when you don't have access to water, and I think the perception in this country is, you know, pe- most people have access to water. Well, in reality, there are 2 million people who do not have access to, to clean water, you know, running in their homes. Um, and a lot of that is, is on in, uh, in Indigenous Native people's land, mm-hmm. uh, where that's a, a very big problem. Um, but I think, you know, thinking about that as a human right, and, and, and having the United States, which it does not currently really adhere to the sustainable development goals, which basically one of them is talks about, you know, being able to, to have clean water, access to clean water for, for all. And this is a really important uh, component. And, and yet, it's something that we kind of put on the back burner. So I think, uh, as you're talking, one of the things that I was thinking about was you know, I know you do a lot of work in, in terms of um, well-being and 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 um, self-care, and that's I think something that people, um, if they have the you know the time and the privilege to be able to do so, think you know they prioritize that they think about it. Um, but I, I wonder if there's a way to integrate some of these um, ideas, thinkings, teachings into that as you know when we think about self-care how do we define that even maybe more broadly and thinking about, you know, that idea of water as a human right. Um, And the other part about this is, you know, thinking about environmental justice and who doesn't have the access, as I just mentioned, those 2 million people, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and so how do we, what's our role? What's our, what's our job in a sense as humans to look out both for ourselves and our neighbors, you know, Mm -hmm. and others it's, it's, uh, you know, I think for me, you know, that idea of, of taking care of, you know, myself is, that's important, right? But then how do we make sure once our own needs are taken care of to the extent that they can be, that we're, we're, we're moving beyond that and, and moving into taking care of others and making sure that that water, idea of water as a human right is prevailing, right? That it is something that we think about and make it part of our, our, our own well-being is connected to the well-being of others, you know? 
Yeah, and it's uh, my my mission statement or my vision for my company, Cultivate You, is that uh, my passion and my responsibility is to help people become better well-beings first with themselves, but then also become well, have well-being with your community mm-hmm. and with the environment. Those are my three pillars. And so it is part of the conversation that, yeah, yeah. yeah, you do have to take care of yourself in order to be able to help others, but it is our responsibility to do what we can to help others within the capacity that we have. So I don't expect it to be, you know, always for every individual, some grandiose thing, because that's not possible, but there are steps, things that we can do, uh, both at a small space and, you know, eventually maybe to a large space, but it doesn't always, it doesn't have to be your end goal. And so when we, um, as we start to bring our conversation to a close or wrap up, what do we, where is the best place for people to get started? Because for me, you know, it was interesting a company that uh, I used to, you know, do work for went from really helping to support each area, each region's backyard, like all the money you would raise went towards your backyard, your specific area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it switched over, went away from that and went just straight to global like outside of the United States. And I kept thinking, we have serious issues right here, like big time issues with water right here that we need to continue to keep focused on as well as looking at what can we do to help globally. But we got some serious issues here that have to be resolved and systems and policies that also have to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where, where is that best place for people to get started? What is that, yeah. that first step? I mean, I can, I've talked about in previous podcasts, different uh, aspects in the home, you know, think about how you're running your water and you're brushing your teeth and shorten your showers and all that, which absolutely is sound. What happens next? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. next step because that's within themselves now it's what are we doing to help the well-being of others how do we where's that first step look like right yeah this is these are it's a great question I first of all I loved hearing about the pillars I think this is you know it's in your business very it's intrinsic to uh, being able to make change happen and I would say in response to your question you know sort of similarly with expanding and thinking about those pillars um, when we set set our own goals um, and they can be, you know, small goals, but thinking, uh, starting with self, as you just said, um, but, but we have the ability to be able to set our own terms and a lot, you know, in, in this country on in many different levels, uh, if you are coming from a place of privilege. So what are those terms? What are those goals that you can set internally? And then, you know, peer to peer, whoever your peers might be, how can you begin to have those conversations? As I was talking about with my fearless water solutionary teams, you know, think about having some of those brave conversations. And maybe one of the goals that you can set for yourself is, you know, I'm going to have a couple of challenging conversations, or maybe they're going to be easy, um, but I'm going to 
I'm going to talk about water. I'm going to talk about healthy food um, instead of, uh, you know, what we might typically talk about. I'm going to bring something new up in this conversation. Um, and then thinking also for yourself and for others, you know, how do you engage in decision making um, in your community? And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there's fear around, around getting involved in, in politics that seems really heavy and you don't have the time. But thinking about, you know, how do I, you know, a couple, maybe it's a couple times a year, maybe it's once a month, how do I do something that helps to move something ahead in terms of a, a local decision? You know, maybe it's it's weighing in, and maybe it's a national decision. Maybe it's just signing a petition or um, being able to share um, a website, um, some information uh, with friends that's going to, you know, help to um, help help them advance their thinking. And then I think also I'll say in closing, um, you know, both finding hope in the connection that you have with others, uh, I think, is really valuable. But figuring out how do you build something together with, with uh, whether it's people who are like-minded, people who have a little bit of a different opinion, how can you, you know, build something on whatever scale it is um, that helps to make change in your community? And, and thinking about, you know, that might look like, um, you know, a, maybe it's a book club that comes together to discuss some new ideas. Um, you know, there's this really great book that's called All We Can Save that's um, about uh, climate change. It's all women authors, short essays, um, but there's a whole book guide around that. And it's a really interesting way to think about, you know, bringing those discussions together and, and building community. You know, when I say build something, building a group together um, mm -hmm. to talk about ideas is, can be really radically life-changing for people. Mm -hmm. I love all those. That's, and I think at the base of it, the word that came to mind or the emotion is courage. Like it's mm -hmm. just be, be courageous and, <clears throat> one like you said one discussion at a time and it can be overwhelming for people especially among their circle of friends to bring up that conversation of water and I certainly know I've at, in the past have felt that way or and when I have the conversation you know like I can tell I can feel the lack of um, interest in it Mm -hmm. and you know or well just tell me you know when the when the event is or just tell me where I should send the check <laughs> yes of course I'll you know support it yet though I I don't really feel like they want to understand the challenges at hand uh, mm -hmm. because a it might not be something they want to talk about at that dinner or get together or uh, they don't like it sounds fascinating but i've got too many other things on my mind and i've got other things to worry about so marla you take care of it that's your field <laughs> you know right. like i had an elderly friend she said you know my son handles this topic you handle this topic marla your environment and then i handle this topic, you know? and <laughs> so i'm like it's so oh, true right? okay they can all cross paths but all right yeah. that's how you want to have it sure well, and I think making it easy for people, like, sure, okay, fine, I will send you the website or the place to donate or the whatever, the event invitation. Um, and it's planting those seeds. You're exactly, exactly right that people have limited capacity. And I think that's kind of the beauty of building online communities, too, is that I know for, you know, teens who have told me they feel very isolated because, mm -hmm. you know, they're the only one in their peer group. Mm 
mm-hmm. who care about this particular issue related to water. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, being able to, when you can't build that community locally as strongly as you'd like, giving those people the opportunities where they, they you know, maybe they, they don't have time, but they do have a few dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe they do have a few minutes where they can do, take a quick action online, giving them that opportunity. Um, but then also looking to find those people who may be a little farther afield, you know, maybe it's as far as Uganda, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but, but trying to figure out how we build connected communities around these issues. Um, and then eventually it does, just like water filters in a, in a wetland, filters water, it filters through, you know, it filters through our, our communities um, with different, it, it will grow, you know, we'll grow these seeds, we'll plant and we'll filter with different um, speed or frequency. Um, but those ideas, you know, it's planting seeds and watering them with, with uh, hopefully clean water. <laughs> right. And, uh, and that's, that's, where, that's where it can all grow. Um, before I close, I, I probably could have asked this at the beginning. I know what one of the answers might be, but, you know, when you think about over your career of, of water work, what have been successful experiences or successful stories that you? Mm. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got a, I've got a couple. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, uh, as a, as a former classroom teacher uh, many years ago, that was where uh, my roots um, in education started in a classroom. Um, just um, having having students come back to me and saying, um, "Oh, I used this information. I thought about you know how this how how this might change my future." Uh, you know, I had a, a students um, building um, designing eco friendly um, businesses and. Uh, you know, a year later, a student came back and said, I thought about my business and I, I wanted to figure out how to, you know, X, Y, Z, really try to make it happen. Now, now that I'm in high school, thinking, anyway, um, so th- those kinds of reaching the small, you know, the, the smaller scale, but knowing that that's impacted an individual is huge. And I think um, for me growing that, and I um, have written a fair amount of curriculum now and uh, talking to teachers and knowing that they're using those lesson plans uh, with students and it's helping teachers to teach their students. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know, for me, particularly significant to know that, uh, you know, I'm helping to get that information into the hands of teachers who didn't know how to approach that, that topic or teach about one of these critical concepts about, you know, water and how it's, it's um, connected systemically to food, to energy, um, how it is a human right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, those particular pieces, but I, I will say um, really getting people connected to place uh, and working on uh, an adoptive beach program that, that I worked on for many years developing it um, so that people could give back to place, go in and um, pick up trash on their beach and collect data on what they're finding, figure out how to use that, that data in different ways um, so really giving people the opportunity to take action, um, you know, that's those, you know, those, uh, those areas of work where I can connect people to, to their homes, um, you know, whether that's an urban place, whether that's a more rural place, um, they're all connected by water. Um, and then finally, I would say just, you know, um, two, two things. One is, um, back in November, 2019, before, um, travel sort of stopped. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has. Um, you know, I spent I spent uh, 
some time in, U in Uganda working with a group of about 100 scientists and um, facilitating their discussions to help them come together to build advisory groups around the African Great Lakes. Um, and that work is ongoing. I still uh, attend monthly meetings with these scientists, but helping them to lay the groundwork at that meeting um, so that they could connect with each other across borders, you know, where they had been previously just working from their one country on part of the lake, where now they're working on all of the lake connected across borders with other scientists also working to solve problems and, and conduct research on the, those water bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so I think building connected communities, connecting people to place, you know, those are, those are some moments that I'm particularly proud of. And I will say most recently, the students that I mentioned earlier, the water solutionaries, um, helping them to figure out uh, what they wanna do next, which is in fact, to grow the organization that we developed this past summer mm -hmm. to reach a lot more teens and to figure out how to, to again, grow a community that can make change, that, that can create a movement um, and be able to foster change in, in a new way, I think is really exciting and something that I look forward to, you know, growing and thinking about um, taking action on really every day. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are some particularly you know, exciting things for me. Yeah, I love that. I was thinking, um, for me, I, I think the organizations, I think the things that were have been successful for me are certainly the, the awareness that I was able to create around for me was able specifically for the Great Lakes and waking mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. up to understanding where their water comes from and, and helping to make sure that they stay protected because they service, they are a resource to so many millions of people across all five of them in two different countries. And I also think uh, for me, well, two things, uh, creating awareness around how water affects everything in their life, uh, the kind of conversations that I have and the well-being work that I do, because I do speak about from the environmental aspects, um, how you eat, what you're eating, how is it farmed, uh, how are you accessing it, uh, and how you take care of yourself, but that all elements of this planet are all linked, you know, water, fire, air, space, and earth, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. understanding that they are not separated, that they are all together and that they all make up this, you know, circle of well-being for yourself, for your community and for this yeah. planet. Yeah. Uh, but then, I, and then the last I think would be the organizations I've chosen to align myself with. And again, creating that awareness for people around thinking about who are you aligning yourself with and do these companies represent any of your values that you guide your life by or that you care about or or topics you know and the companies that I have spent my career working for and certainly in my current new position in the company I work for that the I'm proud to be a part of a team that is relentless mm -hmm. uh, in their efforts to be a model an environmental model for the process and 
implement incredibly strict standards for how we package things, how we're sourcing them, how they're being uh, harvested or farmed, uh, how they are combined, how they're shipped, you know, every decision we make, how much ink is being used and, uh, and how it affects the impact. Uh, and so for me, I'm, I'm proud, not only of my, how I've chosen to and who I've chosen to align myself with, but that I have been sharing inspiration to others to do the same, to really think about the kind of companies and their work and their actions and behaviors uh, and the end consequences of whatever product they're making or, or the work they're doing so that it can uh, help us sustain as we move forward, you know, all aspects. Uh, how I look at it so yeah that's really beautiful I I love yeah I love thinking about that it's on the change that we want to see has to happen on so many different levels Mm -hmm. and so as you're talking about you know I think you and I I love hearing the alignment um in in a way that's it's not direct right Mm -hmm. you're you're working from one perspective and I work from a different perspective but because we're working towards similar goals mm-hmm. um, it's so important to hear how those different layers can interact and mm-hmm. and be working together I love hearing that I, I just I, what I was just wondering when you do this work um, I know we're trying to wrap up here but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we have time we don't really have a schedule it's okay um, I make I, the rules <laughs> okay perfect then <laughs> I guess you know what's what's what are some of the things that I guess shifts that you're seeing that that give you hope, uh, that make you feel, you know, really, um, you know, positive about the future, or maybe conversely, they make you really mad, because I know yeah, <laughs> happens right. too, you know, but that, that galvanize you to action, you know, every day, you're, you're someone who's really driven and motivated by your work, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, what gives me hope is uh, one of the seals and certifications of the company that I call it my big girl job that I took <laughs> early this summer. I stepped back into a different big girl job, but it's a big girl job uh, that um, in the beauty, it's a beauty brand called IN Intelligent. And uh, we have a decades long legacy of being an environmental company, but the uh, two female founders uh, really chose to to refresh, rebrand, really reignite, re-energize uh, the brand from how it was uh, to carry it into the future. And so, in doing that, really stepped up uh, our game with the technology that's available for packaging for our standards of what can be used in a product because Mm -hmm. so just in those two areas alone I'll speak to um, the packaging we partnered with an organization an an environmental organization called BWE um, environmental and they have a science tool science data tool that's patented for them and they helped create a system for us to use that's based strictly on data meaning you know is it better for uh we look at the impact of the packaging so is it better for let's just say shampoo bottle to be 100 percent pcr 
is that the best choice? And when you look at the science and you feed in the data, this company's tool looks at your packaging choices impact on the planet. So it looks at the overarching mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from uh, climate change to air quality mm-hmm. to yeah. agriculture runoff. But then it then it goes down a level to the ecosystem. So biodiversity, um, air quality, uh, water quality, um, sewage uh, and recycling waste management. I mean, there's a number of other areas. Mm-hmm and quality of the human. And then the third is the most important. It looks at what's the impact on the human being itself, mm, on immunity yeah. system, on um, water, clean water access um, to uh, the impact on the waste generated. Um, and so it looks at these three areas, which really i don't know any other company particularly in the beauty brand industry that looks at packaging on that level to that extent so it turns out that 100 percent pcr is not always the best choice than in Mm -hmm. let's just say one of our bottles so we go with a 90 percent pcr hpt hb hpde which reduced our impact by 25 percent. that's a big deal yeah um so we go down the line that way, along with, you know, we've chosen not to use any metal foiling, which can mm-hmm. be used in cap covers underneath the plastic cap, or we don't use it on any of our sample sizes. So our sample packs are fully, they're all paper, 100% PCR and paper that you can literally, when you're done using it, put it in your paper recycling and it will get recycled. So most company, beauty brands companies of samples are foil lined or hard plastics that are not recyclable. So just the packaging aspect alone, we chose to go with glass with all of our skincare mm-hmm. versus recycled plastics. Um, but then with the ingredient side, we are committed to and held accountable to specific seals and certifications we have chosen to take part in and run our run our decisions by and one of them uh, we have five um, one of them is cosmos natural cosmos organic by soil association and in the united states the fda only bans 11 ingredients and it hasn't been changed since 1937. Oh my gosh, pathetic. that's crazy. That and, is you know, crazy. With, Yeah, and with yeah. all the awareness that people have brought about in the last 20 years, you'd right? think we'd right. increase that list. That's where politics for me and money is involved. Yeah, yeah. So we follow the European, the EU standards of Cosmos certification, which they ban over 1300 ingredients and the list keeps growing. So with that, that means in abiding by and choosing to have this seal and certification, our, our pool of ingredients becomes much smaller because we choose only to be a plant powered company in the best way we can. Uh, to, to have this seal means 
you're held accountable to the farmer you use, how it's grown, how it's harvested, how it's extracted. What does the manufacturing facility, is it sterilized and clean, clean before we come in to, you know, have our ingredients extracted in there, how it's combined with the other ingredients and every single ingredient down the line has, every supplier has to abide by those, the packaging and then how it's shipped. Uh, so those certifications are what we abide by across our line um, and along with the others that we follow, that we've chosen to follow. So it's those kinds of things that give me hope because we've been a leader for so many decades and there are a lot of beauty brands out there, smaller ones and bigger ones who are doing their best to make a difference. We choose to be a thousand percent transparent about everything that we do because the consumer's informed you know if they're not they have so much information at their hands so we just lay it all out on the line here's what we use yes we use performance synthetics at the lowest possible percentage and we have a specific list that we're allowed to use but we tell you we're not hiding behind you know the word fragrance or perfume i mean i could go on and on so that stuff gives me hope um, the things that make me mad are aerosols because people and there's hairspray. I mean, I just edited myself from saying a lot of things, but <laughs> aerosols, aerosols are horrible. There's no good aerosol, right? There probably never right. will be. Um, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, it's just, uh, from you breathing it into the whole container system and we don't, we don't make aerosols. Uh, so, you know, there was a comment, a client said to me a few weeks ago, um, that, you know, they were saying, well, I need a little more help educating around, you know, your brand, your ethos, you know, this plant powered thing, because, you know, there's people who like that. He goes, but that's not me. I'm a chemical person all day long. Just pour it all over me for sure. <laughs> You know, oh my like, god wow okay um all right i'll just pretend you didn't say that and we'll move on and i'll figure out how to you know <laughs> come back to that um so it just it still baffles me in our industry right. we create in the salon spot industry we create over four hundred twenty-five thousand pounds of trash a day mm. And there's a fantastic organization called Green Circle Salons, who my company partners with, but I've they crossed my path before, you know, a couple few years ago. They've been helping salons now since 2009 help remove their waste from the salon in oh and recycle it, clean, uh, use it for clean energy, burnt, you know, like incinerate it for clean energy, mm -hmm. um, or reuse it, you know, find a way to repurpose it somehow. Um, and so, you know, I mean, there's so many pieces in the salon. It's about industry. There's so many things that get used from files to metals to the tools. I mean, it's unbelievable. And um, yeah. so that whole waste thing gets on my nerves a little bit because, <laughs> right. you know, because there's organization, there's salon owners who tell me they're environmental, but don't want to engage in having their waste removed you know they don't want to pay literally 
no more than a dollar fifty a head and pass it on to their client because they just they don't want to they don't want the client to pay for that which mm-hmm. I keep thinking but the client's paying you to create their waste so why aren't you just charging them to have it removed you know it's so that argument really really gets under my skin yeah, right right um and it's the one you know i just kind of keep having trying to politely but it's difficult yeah the viking horns come out (laughs) right right at a certain moment um yeah there's no there's no more time for polite conversation um you know and i I feel like that with um with climate change with with different water issues all the interconnected uh aspects of those but we don't have the luxury of time anymore so you know we've got we've got to just cut to the chase we've got to make these changes quickly and we've we've got to be thinking about all the interconnections and what happens when you do this, what's that going to do to that? You know, the water systems, um, the food systems, the energy systems, you know, for example, we can't start using hydropower everywhere, even though that might be more environmentally friendly. What happens when we we, uh, start using too much water in a place where, you know, we've got to think about these systemically, as I said, and um, sometimes those Viking horns just need to come out so we can (laughs) make some decisions a little more quickly. Well, I do have a winter hat that a young friend gave me. Oh, with Viking horns? Perfect. Yeah, with Viking horns and little braids that come down. So I... (laughs) Well, when I see that, that'll remind me about accelerating the pace of change and, you know, the, the Viking role in doing that. So, <laughs> well, it's great. Uh, well, this was a brilliant conversation and I'm so, so grateful. Thank you for having it with me. And I love the banter. I could talk all day and I know you could too. And we will continue it and we'll just continue our work. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And yeah, it's conversations like this you know, talking with you and, and seeing our alignment and seeing the work that we're doing in separate areas that really also totally makes me feel excited and galvanizes me to thinking about doing more and, and uh, working, working together, just even in our separate arenas, seeing where we can cross over. It's just so uplifting. So thank you for this. I really appreciate it. So I look forward to everyone coming back for the next one. I hope it's soon. Got to think about <laughs> fitting it in but we'll be back i promise and uh i hope you enjoyed our conversation have a wonderful rest of your day evening path thank you thank you